Hello and welcome to the Otto Fitzgerald podcast. I'm your host, Otto Fitzgerald, and this is my podcast. On this week's episode, we've been talking about, you guessed it, revenue flows throughout the digital music system. Here we go. So one of the fundamental things to address when looking at this topic are the six copyright controls. These are all the things that the copyright holder has the right to do with the music. So they have the right to reproduce copies of the work, make derivative works, to distribute copies of the work to the public, to perform the copyrighted work, to publicly display the copyrighted work, and to digitally transmit the work to the public via radio or TV. So the difference between performing copyrighted work and publicly displaying it is that performing means playing at gigs and events, whereas publicly displaying it means playing it in coffee shops, shopping centres, that kind of thing. So another important thing to look at is the two forms of copyright in the music industry. So these come in the form of publishing rights and master rights. So publishing rights are all about the composition. It concerns who wrote it and who has published it. Whereas master rights are all about the actual recording of the song and usually concerns the record label that controls it. So we're first going to look at how money for the master rights flows from places like Spotify and Apple Music to the artist. So there are a few different organisations that are involved in this process. DSPs, or digital service providers, are places like Spotify and Apple Music, which allow users to consume music on a subscription basis. There are major labels involved, so this is places like Universal, Sony and Warner. There are indie labels involved, so Rough Trade or Dirty Hit. And there's also also an organisation called Merlin. Now Merlin is a collective of um, small indie labels which grants them the power that they wouldn't have if they were operating by themselves. So there are certain agreements or licenses that are agreed between these separate parties which allow the money to flow through to the necessary places. These include compulsory, direct and collective licenses. So compulsory licenses are organised with radio stations, bars and clubs which allow them to publicly display the music as long as it is commercially released. So this licence does not apply to the world of streaming. Direct licences, so this is an agreement between a record label such as Universal and a DSP like Spotify. So this is necessary for them to negotiate royalties earned from a song. And finally, a collective license. So this is where Merlin comes into play. It is an agreement between Merlin and the DSP, which establishes an agreement for all indie labels under the Merlin umbrella, allowing them to release their music on the DSP and expect royalties back from it. So there are five different relationships artists have with organisations which allow them to release music and make money. So the first one of these circumstances is when an artist is signed to a major label. 
So in this agreement, the money flows from the DSP to the major label and then to the artist. If a distributor is involved, then the money goes from the DSP to the distributor and then to the artist. So the key difference between these two is that a distributor is there just to distribute the music and is not signed away any rights. Uh, so the agreement between the DSP and the major label, or the DSP and the distributor, is a direct license. So the second agreement is when an artist is signed to a Merlin label. So earlier I spoke about what Merlin is and how it's an umbrella of loads of small indie labels. So in this circumstance, the money flows from the DSP to Merlin to the record label and then to the artist. So the relationship between the DSP and Merlin is a collective license. Um, and then the agreement between Merlin and the record label is a direct license and that's the same for the record label and the artist, which is also a direct license. So the third agreement is when an artist is signed to a small indie label. So in this circumstance, the money flows from the DSP to the indie label um, and then to the artist. So all of these relationships are direct licenses because Merlin isn't involved. So the fourth agreement is when an artist is working with an indie distributor. So in this circumstance, the money flows from the DSP to the independent distributor and then to the artist. Again, all of the relationships in this are established by direct licenses. Then the final circumstance is when an artist is working on their own. So within this, the money flows from the DSP straight to the recording artist. Very simple. It's simply just a direct license. So we're now going to look at how money flows through the digital music system on the publishing side. So before looking at this, we need to establish a few specifics about royalty splits and the difference between how things work in Europe and how things work in the USA. So first of all, with a stream, the splits on the composition in the UK are generally 50% to reproduction and then 50% to the performance rights. So it's important to note that uh, with downloads, um, there's a 75% split to reproduction and 25% to performance. Um, and then radio and webcasts are 25% for reproduction and 75% for performance. So the difference between Europe and the USA is that in the US, you are able to assign 100% of the rights to the publisher, meaning that they control all of the composition rights. Whereas in Europe, you can only assign 50% to the publisher, meaning that the songwriter keeps the other 50%. So an important step in the flow of revenue in the digital music system is the role of collection societies. These are organisations that collect revenue from various income streams such as DSPs and distribute it to the relevant copyright holders. So this gets trickier when looking at it from an international perspective. If a Spotify user living in Italy listens to a UK artist, 
who collects the revenue and who does Spotify contact to set this up. So when looking at how publishing revenue is distributed on an international level, we first need to look at the necessary organisations who solve this problem. To set up separate licences with all the necessary collection societies in different countries would be an incredibly difficult job. To solve this problem, hubs such as ICE and Armonia were set up. A good way to look at hubs is as collections of collection societies, if that makes sense. So ICE uh, controls collection societies like PRS in England, IMRO in Ireland, GEMA in Germany and BMI in America. Armonia controls collection societies like SABAM in Belgium, SACEM in France and SGAE in Spain. So these organisations set up a collective licence with DSPs in order for the job to be made easier. A direct deal is then set up between the hub and the necessary collection society. The members of the hub are known as CMOs. So we are now going to look at how revenue flows through the digital music system on the publishing side. As previously mentioned, in America you can assign 100% of the rights to the publisher, whereas in Europe you can only assign 50% to them, leaving the songwriter with the other 50%. This means that the money has to take two different routes to get to the necessary copyright holders. The first relationship we will look at is when a songwriter is signed to a major publisher. The first route concerns the songwriter's half, so the money flows from the DSP to ICE via a collective licence, then from ICE to the CMOs via a direct licence, and then from the CMOs to the songwriter. The second route concerns the publisher's half of the revenue. So the money flows from the DSP to ICE via a collective licence, then from ICE to the CMOs via a direct licence, then from the CMOs to the publisher via a direct licence, and then from the publisher to the songwriter. The songwriter gets a percentage of the publisher's half. This amount is usually specified on their contract. So the second relationship we will look at is when a songwriter is signed to an indie publisher. This is where Impel gets involved. So earlier I mentioned Merlin, which is a collection of indie record labels. Well, a good way to think of Impel is as Merlin for publishers, if that makes sense. In this circumstance, the revenue again takes two routes. So the songwriter's half flows from DSP to ICE via a collective license, then from ICE to the CMO via a direct license, then from the CMO to the songwriter. The publisher's half flows from the DSP to ICE via a collective license, then from ICE to the CMO via a direct license, then from the CMO to Impel via a collective license, then from Impel to the publisher via a direct license, and then from the publisher to the songwriter. As mentioned before, the songwriter gets a percentage of the publisher's half, but this is usually specified within the contract. If a songwriter isn't with the publisher, then they keep 100% of the publishing revenue, 
and the money only needs to take one route. So this would be from the DSP to the CMO and then to the songwriter. In America, this process is slightly different as all 100% of the rights can be signed to the publisher. They tend to rely more on direct licenses between the DSP and the publisher and avoid collective licenses. In a traditional relationship where a songwriter is signed to a major US publisher, the revenue flows from the DSP to the major publisher via a direct license and then from the major publisher to the songwriter. So the big five direct licenses in the USA are done with Universal Music Group, Sony ATV, Warner Chapel, Cobalt and BMG. So there's no collective license set up here as the USA prefers to just set up direct licenses with, with each of these major publishers. So if we bring our attention back to Europe, we can see how major publishers have made the process of distributing revenue even easier with the use of organisations known as Special Purpose Vehicles, or SPVs. Deals are done between CMOs and major publishers which eliminate the need for hubs like ICE or Armonia. For example, Solar is a special purpose vehicle which concerns Gemma, the German CMO, and Sony ATV. By using this model, the money on the publisher's half doesn't have to go through ICE first to get to the necessary CMO. If we look at a relationship where a songwriter in Europe is signed with one of the big five and an SPV is involved, the money would take two routes, as in Europe, publishing rights are split between the songwriter and the publisher 50-50. The first route would be that the money flows from the DSP to the SPV via a direct license, then from the SPV to the publisher via a direct license, and then from the publisher to the songwriter. The second route would be that the, the money flows from the DSP to ICE via a collective license, then from ICE to the CMO via a direct license, and then from the CMO to the songwriter. Currently, music publishers use PROs to collect public performance royalties on behalf of their songwriters from places like radio and TV. Recently, all three major publishers, Universal Music Group, Sony ATV and Warner Chapel, as well as some other independent publishers, signed direct public performance licensing deals with Spotify, Pandora and other digital service providers. These publishers are currently making more money off direct deals. However, the US government is pushing to prevent this model. No partial withdrawal means that the publishers either have to use the PROs to access all possible royalties or none at all. They aren't allowed to simply pick the PROs that they don't want to use. If the publishers decide to go the all-in route, the traditional system will stay the same. In America, this involves four main PROs. These are ASCAP, BMI, SESAC and GMR. If they choose the all-out option, music licensing fees will change drastically. If one of the major publishers withdraw from the PROs, there will be another music license to obtain. For example, this could be uh, the four PROs, ASCAP, BMI, SESAC and GMR plus Sony. 
for example. If the tens of thousands of publishers withdraw, there will be many new licenses to pay. So this could be ASCAP, BMI, SESAC, and GMR, plus Sony, Universal, Warner Chapel, and Cobol, and possibly thousands more. The new system could be complex, and it would ask questions of transparency within the digital music world. The current model used for royalty calculation works in the following way. All of the streaming income from a DSP is collected as a whole. It's then split across all of the tracks listened to by the user, depending on the number of times they have been streamed. As the music industry attempts to unwind the complexities of streaming, questions have been asked of this model and whether a more user-centric one would be better. So imagine these two scenarios. Customer A streams 5,000 times in a month. They pay £8.99 and that money is split across 8,000 songs that are rarely repeated. Customer B streams 400 times in a month. They also pay £8.99. This money is split across 15 songs that are being played on repeat. In the current model, that would mean £17.98 being split across 8,015 songs. The industry has begun to ask whether this is fair to the acts who have a super dedicated fan base who listen to their tracks over and over again. So today we learn about how revenue flows throughout the digital music system. This included the six controls of copyright, the difference between master and publishing rights, different forms of licenses, how things work in Europe and the USA, CMOs and hubs, and how things may change in the future. What a ride it's been. So, friends, brothers, sisters, thanks for joining me again on the Otto Fitzgerald podcast. I'm Otto Fitzgerald, and that was my podcast. Mm -hmm.